follow Jesus, we follow a king who brought a kingdom to earth. That it, It's here now, and it's increasingly here. It's not here all the way, but it, it will be. And I think in our Western world, especially in the U.S., sometimes maybe we struggle to understand the idea of a kingdom just because we live in a democratic republic. Uh, it's been that way the past couple hundred years or so. And but at the same time, you know, we have a general idea how a kingdom works because we know how other countries operate that are monarchies or we've seen books, we've seen movies, those sorts of things. And one thing that we do understand a lot of times is that the culture of a kingdom is usually determined by the character of its king. So if you have a king who is just and loving and kind, well, that kingdom is probably going to be a place you'd want to be because it pursues justice. Whereas if you have a ruthless king, it's going to be a kingdom where there's probably lots of suffering and struggle, a place you don't necessarily want to be. Nice. I like that ringtone. Along these lines, you know, pa- uh, Pastor Tim Keller pointed out that there's typically two ways kingdoms have gotten established if you look at the course of history. One of those ways is uh, that if it's an earthly kingdom, it's usually established, established through some sort of coercion or force. You saw in the video the picture of the armies marching and even had some people on the back of an elephant, you know. That's how it's established. And I would even say, even in like a democracy like ours, there's always some sort of, uh, sometimes we feel force or coercion because, you know, you could have a 51% majority vote for something, you know, a person to get into office or a certain measure or whatever, but there's still 49% that are not happy with the way that things are going, you know, and the leaders of earthly kingdoms, what are they typically like? A lot of times earthly leaders, they're not really great listeners. What is their focus? They want to get a hearing. They have something to share, but you start looking at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God And it flips that on its head because he says, no, 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 the the people that are part of my kingdom, the kingdom of God, the main characteristic that defines them is they're really good at giving a hearing. They are great listeners. It's a primary characteristic because if you can't truly listen, you can't enter God's kingdom, you can't experience his power, you can't be a part of establishing that and impact other people's lives. You know, earthly leaders, they may be really bad listeners, but kingdom of God and all of us who are going to get to help rule it, we listen well. We listen actively. We seek to live it out and to really understand. When we follow Jesus, and that's what this whole series we're in is about, we follow the king of the universe. We follow the king. And so as we get ready to dive into God's word, uh, I, I'm excited. This is a parable that um, even if you're really familiar with it, there's a lot that we can really mine here and get into. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, um, you know what we need. Uh, you know where we're at, what kind of shape we're in coming into this room mentally, physically, spiritually. I ask that you will let these words wash over us, that we will have ears to hear what you're saying to us. Uh, And I ask that the people that we are when we leave here, when we rise up out of these seats, uh, that we won't be the same as when we sat down in them. Um, I ask that you will just speak clearly, uh, that your word would be powerful. Um, And in your name we pray. Amen. If you want to get a head start, uh, you can flip to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I'm Mike, by the way, one of the pastors here. I'm excited to get to dive into week four of this series. Uh, As you do follow along with the scripture today, if you want to go hard copy, awesome. Uh, If you want to watch on screen, awesome. If you're online, go to InsideSCC.org and uh, click on Take Sermon Notes. We've got all the notes right there. 
And to recap with you where we've been in this series, week one, we kicked off and we talked about how when we follow, there's a call to follow, and it's a call made to sinners, us, to be in relationship, to be committed to community, and to learn. So that was week one. We talked about that. Week two, we talked about how the two agendas of following, how we have typically our own agenda and Jesus' agenda, and it's a constant battle to surrender to his and give up our own. Week three, last week, Brad talked about the end game of following, and he said that there are three big things in a disciple's life that, uh, that as of all the years he's been pastoring, he said that you see these things, and I'm going to see if you can remember what they were. The first one was crazy love, yep. The second one was no fear, and the third one was good fruit. Good fruit, exactly. And so now this week, we're talking about the heart, the heart of a follower. And in today's parable, which sometimes called the parable of the sower, sometimes parable of the soils, the four soils that we're going to look at talk about where is the condition of each of our hearts? Where are we at? Because the truth is, we determine the condition. We have a role in determining that. We're not just passive victims somehow when it comes to our hearts. We get to determine what kind of heart we have toward Jesus. And so let's just dive in and let's see what God has for us, all right? Parable of the Sower, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, all right, we're not going to say what he said yet. We're going to pause, all right? So, if you want to picture this, if you're a visual person, we got this picture that I think was taken by NASA or something, and shows the Sea of Galilee, right? So you look up where the green arrow is pointing, just southwest of Capernaum, all right? That's kind of the general area, and then some dude took a picture from an airplane of a spot that is actually known as the Cove of the Sower. So you can see where there's that little cove on the shore. And we don't know 100% that that's where Jesus was, but there's a chance that Jesus would have been in a spot like that, that they put the boat out in there. And logistically, it just made a lot of sense because you could have people spread up out over the shore. The acoustics were amazing. Uh, I can remember, I, I got to go to this place, but I didn't get to test this out. But um, some people that I was with, actually my wife's grandparents, one time on one of the trips they led to Israel, uh, one of them was down kind of by the shore, and the other one was up by the road, and they were amazed by the fact you could just speak in just a normal, you know, volume, and the person up top could hear really well. So you can picture thousands of people just gathered, the crowds there, there's probably a lot of hype, there's a lot of excitement, and so Jesus, he's teaching about the kingdom of God and what's he using? He's using a parable, which, as we talked about before, it's an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning, all right? So he's dishing out this parable, and sometimes we can have this tendency, I don't know if it's just a cultural thing or just a human thing, we can kind of reduce parables down to like a nice little, uh, a nice little story that has a moral lesson, you know, kind of like maybe Aesop's fables or something like that that we read growing up. But the truth is, parables are a lot more than that. They're meant to help listeners understand truth in kind of a unique, deeper way. So this is the parable that Jesus dives into, verse three. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't bear grain. And still other seed fell on good soil, 
It came up, it grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So you read this, and you're like, man, Jesus, this parable, it's not particularly compelling at first glance, you know, to us right now. In, his, in the crowd that he had, probably a lot of people knew farming. A lot of them were farmers. And I, all right, cool. You know, the way that they typically farmed back then, you had a bag of seed, and you used a method called broadcasting. You walked, and you tossed it with your hand, and so they're going, okay, we get it. Some of it's going to fall where you want it to. Some of it probably isn't going to fall where you want it to. There's going to be different results. They're maybe thinking, you know, Jesus, I know that you weren't a farmer. You were apprenticed as a tecton, you know, your dad was kind of like a carpenter, worked with stone and wood, but like you grew up around farmers, like why do you think this is earth shattering? And it's true, the plot, there's not really a really awesome plot, there's not a plot twist, there's only one character in the story, and it, it seems like, man, this is just a face value story that's not exciting, but that's the point. That's what Jesus is after. He's telling this story, and he wants you to realize, no, 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 there's more to this than meets the ear, He's super intentional. Now, I would liken this to an experience I had a couple weekends ago. My brother and my sister-in-law moved from Anderson to Greenfield, so our whole family is helping them. And uh, along with us is my little nephew, Jack, who Jack's about a year and a half old, right? And so Jack is not going to be very helpful moving boxes. So uh, my mom uh, got uh, Mimi duty, and she had uh, an iPad and was just watching Winnie the Pooh with him for hours upon hours upon hours. And so throughout the day, as we got water breaks, you, you might sit down and watch a little Winnie the Pooh, you know? Just, you see it, and at first it's kind of sentimental, but after about three hours of Winnie the Pooh, you're just like, I, I, I just want to strangle rabbit. This is driving me nuts. I can't, I can't handle this anymore, right? Oh, it's just awful. But what, what's interesting, though, is you would maybe watch that at first thing. Oh, a cute little kid story where there's not much going on. But I had a friend on social media point something out recently, and they said, you know, we're in a culture right now where anxiety and depression are running rampant. And some people don't understand it at all. But if you want to understand how to love a friend well who battles anxiety and depression, you should look at how the characters in Winnie the Pooh treated Eeyore. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know how to diagnose Eeyore. But I would say the dude was definitely... I would say definitely some social anxiety, probably some depression that that poor stuffed donkey was going on with, right? And it wasn't just because he was losing his tail. I mean, this guy was a miserable wreck, but how did everybody else treat him? Even when he was in a bad spot and not doing well, they included Eeyore. They loved Eeyore. They sought out Eeyore. They listened to Eeyore. They, they involved him regardless. And they said, if we want to know how we need to treat people, just look at how Pooh and Piglet and Rabbit and Kanga and Tigger and Christopher Robin, how did they treat that miserable donkey? Well, they, ju they just loved him anyway, you know? And I look at that and I realize, man, there is something deeper going on with Winnie the Pooh. I had this newfound appreciation. And that's kind of what Jesus, I think, was going at when he was dishing this parable out. So let's go ahead and read what happened when he got done telling the parable. Verse 10 says, When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So Jesus is aiming for two responses here. The one, if someone's there and they're not there for the right reason, 
and they're just there because they like watching the miracles and kind of being entertained, uh, but they're not really interested in, in surrender. He's saying, yeah, it's okay, you can go ahead and leave if, if you're not here for that reason, but if the second response, if you do have ears to listen, if you do have a heart to receive, if you have a mind that's willing to really ponder more deeply and kind of lean in and consider the bigger implications, then, then, then let's talk. Let's explain this a little bit more. You see, in the ancient world, listening was never a passive thing. It blows my mind is this, that in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament early on, they didn't even really have a conception of the mind. They talked over and over about the heart. So you did everything with your heart. You thought with your heart. You felt with your heart. You acted on convictions with your heart. You lived out your beliefs from your heart. They didn't distinguish so fiercely and compartmentalize heart, mind, body, spirit. It was, it was all, you, you offer all that to God all the time. And true listening always involved obedience. If you truly listened and truly heard, you obeyed. You changed, not just how you thought, but how you behaved. Last night, we got back from a family birthday celebration, and I was exhausted. We got the kids to bed. I plop in the recliner, and I'm just checking the ESPN app, looking at scores. Oh, Notre Dame barely beat Toledo. That's not good. What's going on? And Sarah, uh, who's ever creative, she's like decorating part of our living room. So I'm sitting in the same room. And at one point, she says, hey, Mike, can you help me with something? And I, what did I say? I said, sure. But I didn't get up out of the chair. I kept scrolling. So a few minutes later, she said, hey, Mike, can you, can you give me a hand with this? I said, sure. But did I move from where I was? No. I, I, I kept my butt planted firmly in the chair. And finally, about a third time, she said, hey, hey, hey I really could use your help. Could you, could you help me with something? And I went, oh, oh okay, sure. And I jumped up, and I, and I helped out. But those first couple times, I answered her, and I said, sure, but was I really listening? No, I wasn't really listening, because when I truly listened, I didn't start truly listening until I acted, and I stood up, and I went, and I helped her uh, as she was holding something up. I helped her stick the drill bit in the drill and, and get something screwed in. It, it, you know, I, I wasn't truly listening. And the same thing goes in life, and the same thing goes spiritually when we're following Jesus. So, I would ask, do you have ears to hear? Because if you do, we should probably be listening. Let's dive into Jesus when he starts explaining to the disciples what this meant, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, and some people are like seed along the path where the word's sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes away the word that was sown in them. And others like seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So Jesus wants us to take a second and reflect on these four types of soil. Because the truth is, every single one of us is in one of those four categories. And I, I want to kind of ad admonish you here. Just because you're in a category doesn't mean you're stuck there, right? 
Jesus' point is for us to listen well, hear clearly, and if we're not where we need to be, to do something about it and ask for his help to do something about that, okay? Because the category that we're in, it speaks to the condition of our heart as we're following him. So as we're looking at these soils, uh, we kind of get this nifty picture that I discovered, and I, we're going to put it up on the screen, kind of represents the four different types. So we're going to kind of walk through these just briefly, and I'm going to challenge you, just self-assess. Say, okay, Jesus, I'm listening. Holy Spirit, speak away. Where am I at? What type of soil am I at, and what should I do about this? Okay? So first of all, we have the path, the soil and the path, or the bird-picked soil, right? So some people... You hear the message about the kingdom, you don't understand it, and it says that basically the devil's agents steal the message from your heart. If you're in this spot, you probably think, I'm fine. I really don't need heaven to come to earth. I don't need Jesus to overhaul my life. I'm really doing pretty good. And when you're in this spot, a lot of times you're at risk of some other influence taking the reins and maybe taking you places that you really wouldn't want to go. You know, I, I can remember a couple years ago, I felt God really just impress it on me that there was an old friend and I needed to meet up with him and I needed to share the gospel very clearly, good news of Jesus. So we were sitting over a meal, I can't remember if it was breakfast or lunch, but I just laid it out and I basically said, hey, here's what I believe, this is what I've lived, this is what Jesus did, I really would love you to be part of this. I threw it out and I thought, man, there's no way he's gonna reject this. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. And it's like it just went over the head, you know? Now, part of it, I, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. I'm not like Pastor Brad where he could read two pages of the phone book and 12 people would just give their lives to Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it just the man is gifted, you know? It's like, man, when he started reading Anderson, like, I just felt it welling up. And by the time he got to Azusa, I was just like, Lord, you have my life. You know, I, I, I don't have that gift. But as much as I want to beat myself up, I also know, I think, this the condition of my friend's heart across the table, you know, the, the seed got tossed on the soil and something snatched it up that day. And if that's you, and you think, huh, I've heard this before, I never really listened to it, I would ask, do you have ears to hear? Well, you should listen. What's God gonna say? Then we got the rocky soil. The rocky soil is interesting because typically if you're in this spot, you were really excited to hear the gospel. You received it. There was joy. You started, maybe you didn't have a lot of soil on top of the rocks, but you got the roots down what you could. But as soon as the sun came and holding on to your faith and being devoted to Jesus cost you something, you, you just kind of abandoned it and you tapped out. Maybe you identify as following Jesus, but usually only if it's convenient. And it's curious because the word, if you look at the word radical, the word radical literally means root, if you look back in history. And being radical has a negative connotation. But you think about it, if you're going to be devoted to anything at all in life, you got to be a little bit radical. You just have to. You got to be rooted. You got to be willing to put that down and really commit to something. Because, you know, if you do, if you get the roots down, well, then when it's dry, you can still get down to the water and the nutrients. When you have the roots down, when suffering comes and the wind blows, you're going to stay upright. You're going to stay anchored. And if you're not in that spot, it's not a pretty picture. You do wither. Um, a lot of you maybe know somebody. If you grew up a youth group kid, I remember growing up, I grew up in the youth group right here at this church. Like, I played kickball, all kinds of stuff in this gym. Loved it, loved my life. And what was insane was how many friends I saw come to Jesus in high school. 
and they went off to college, and it's like within six months, they just, they just withered. It, it was sad, it, and it, it, I don't think it's because they were flaky. I don't think it's because they were shallow. I think it was they just didn't have time to get their roots put down. The condition of their hearts was in a spot where when the struggle came, they, they couldn't withstand. So I'd ask you, if that's the soil you are, if you're like, man, I think I'm the rocky soil. Well, do you have ears to hear, and will you listen? Then we got the thorny soil. And it, it said other people listen to the message, but basically there's just a lot of competing interests that take priority. Um, and again, these folks aren't shallow people, if that's you, but for some reason, the message about God's kingdom, it's just not the main thing in your life. You know, there's lots of different things growing in the soil, lots of different things competing for the nutrients, competing values, commitments, priorities. Um, there's a pastor, his name's Francis Chan, um, he's a very godly man, a lot of you've heard of Francis and he actually brought this parable, um, when he wrote the book Crazy Love, he kind of brought this parable really into the awareness of the next generation, probably 12, 13 years ago. And he has this quote, and um, I just really respect what he says because he immerses himself in God's word so much. And he made this observation. We're going to throw this on the screen. He said, you know, I think most American churchgoers are the soil that chokes the seed because of all the thorns. Thorns are anything that distracts us from God. When we want God and a bunch of other stuff... Well, that means we have thorns in our soil. A relationship with God simply cannot grow when, this is quite a list here, money, sins, activities, favorite sports teams, addictions, or commitments are piled on top of it. You know, man, I don't know very many of us at some point in our walk don't read that and go, ooh, it got me. You know, that's where we end up being. You know, this is, this is one of the reasons as parents, you know, there's studies, and I've, I've talked to Pastor Lee about this, you know, because he works with teenagers, very passionate about it, a lot of wisdom, and that, you know, they say that as a 16-year-old, as a and a lot of you in this room, there are some teenagers in here today, if you're not in this room and used to doing worship in an adult context by the age of 16, you're probably not going to stick in church when you're out on your own. It's just not going to happen. And that you know, if we don't model the really good commitments you need to have, and church is just one of the things in your life, then it's probably not going to be the most important thing, and it may not be a thing at all by the time you're 21. And so, you know, maybe you're in this spot. Now, I'm not just talking to you teenagers. I'm talking to young adults, older adults. So if that's you, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm thorny soil. That's the category I'm in. I'd say, well, do you have ears to hear? And you should listen. But this isn't all sad, because there, there is good soil. And these are people that, you know, the seed's sown in them, and God just does something in them, God does something through them, and they're the ones, he says, they're the ones who get it. They're the ones who understand it. They're involved in my kingdom mission. They get it. They get it. They're the folks who embrace their true humanity, who say, all right, Jesus is my king, Jesus is my savior, I'm a citizen of this kingdom, I've got marching orders, there's a way to do life, bring it on. He calls the shots. Transform me. I'm ready. Produce some fruit. One guy that I really respect, uh, Craig Keener, he put it this way. He's a professor down at Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. He said, these people are the ones who persevere when things don't seem to make sense until they hear the Lord's explanation. They're the ones who don't simply nod with approval that Jesus is a great teacher. They embrace him as their Lord and Savior. I knew someone who did this really well. Sarah and I were newly married. We're living outside of Chicago in the suburbs. And if you've ever lived in the suburbs, it's like all type A people all the time. They do things 100% of the, 
200% all the time. So if you were in band or choir, you, you went and you did competitions everywhere. If you were in sports, you did travel ball. It's just what you did. And there was this one mom, her name was Amy Dinsberger, very godly woman, sweet lady, very just, oh, I just loved her. And Amy had a couple of boys, Adam and Brian, who were very talented at sports, uh, at baseball and golf. And they, you know, got a little older, and sure enough, the travel coaches started wanting to play travel ball. But Amy told me, she said, I've watched over the years, and I saw t person after person after person that whether it was travel ball or dance competition, gymnastics, music, they literally would get their kid plugged into this, and there was no room for anything else, for, for friends, for family, and especially for church. And I just didn't want to do life that way. And I told my boys, if you're going to do travel ball, you can do that, but we're going to do whatever it takes to keep our number one priority the priority, and that is being at church, being in the Bible, and being around people who are following Jesus and having that community. And they did it. They went after it. Sometimes if they had to travel for a game, she was researching ahead, and she said, this is the church we're gonna go to. Um, if they had practice, she said, we're gonna get you out of practice in time. We're gonna get you to small groups so you can be with your friends and you can talk about this. Um, they sometimes stayed up late doing homework. They got up early before bed, but she said the priority is gonna be the priority. And man, did God use that woman. She raised three incredible kids, and she had an impact on all these other families. It, it was so cool. Amy Dinsberger, she was the good soil. And a lot of you probably know, maybe uh, some of you in this room, you are the good soil, and you, but you maybe could say, well, I don't know if I'm the good soil, but I know some people who've been the good soil. So now, you maybe feel like you've been kicked in the gut a little bit right now, because you notice three of the four soil types, they, they've kind of whiffed because there's no fruit, and that's a problem. They've fallen short, they've missed the point, they're not up to the purpose that they're made for, right? Because Brad said a disciple is about what? Crazy love, no fear, good fruit. If there's no fruit, that's a problem. But that's not the end of the story. Because in God's kingdom, you have this invitation to follow the king. You have that invitation. You have an invitation that he says, I will change your heart if the condition of your heart isn't where it should be. I can deal with your soil. He is the gardener. He can deal with the rocks. He can deal with the thorns. He can throw more seed if the bird took it away. So what I hope is, this is what I've been praying. I, I want to read one more quote to you really quick, and we're going to throw it on the screen. This is a, a scholar. This is what I've been praying over our church, that this would be our reaction when we read this parable today. He said, when Jesus told parables, they're meant to pop every circuit breaker in people's minds. After all of our yammer and our opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world, getting people to just stand there with their eyes wide open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. This is what Jesus' parables are designed to do. I've been praying that this would just be like a circuit breaker in our brains, that we would just stand here, just eyes wide open and mouth shut, like, all right, God, you got my attention. What you gonna do? So if you're in the band, you can go ahead and head up this way. We've been talking about a kingdom, right? And um, kind of circling back, Pastor Tim Keller, he, he talked about the two different types of kingdoms and what usually happens. And you know, an earthly kingdom usually has two types of people, the people that are loyal and the people that are dead. Those are the two options, the people that go along with it or the people who try to fight it. In an earthly kingdom, it usually comes fast, it's sudden, it's extreme, it's forceful. You know, it's almost like a big boulder that just crashes. Well, how does a big boulder work with soil? If a big boulder just compacted soil, it doesn't really change it, it just breaks it, it crushes it. 
But when Jesus comes, he says, no, 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 my kingdom's different. My kingdom, it's like what? It's like a seed. Because how do seeds work? Plants transform the soil from below. Plants start to grow, and it's really slow, and it's super internal below the surface, and it's quiet. But eventually, that little plant rechannels that energy and those nutrients and that water from the ground, and it transforms the land, it transforms the air, and everything else that lives there. It gradually does that. So we live in this kingdom of God, seated with the gospel. We know wrongs are being made right. Justice is being pursued. Brokenness is mended. Relationships are being healed. Diseases and suffering being eliminated. But it's not quite here all the way yet. Let's not assume that we're the good soil. Let's be really honest as we go into this response time about where we're at with this soil, about where we're at with God's kingdom. So Jesus, we come to you, and we've seen these four types of soil that you've talked about. Jesus, and I pray you will show and reveal to us, you know, are are we that bird-picked soil of the path where we've had just the good news snatched away? Jesus, are we the rocky soil we tried to get those roots down and we just withered when that sun came out and life got hard. Jesus, are we that thorny soil where other stuff has just crowded it out? You're just one of the many plants um, among many. Or Jesus, are we the good soil? Do we need to ask you to keep producing fruit in us and through us? Jesus, we want to advance this kingdom. We want to be that good soil. We need you right now to be the gardener. We need you to toss new soil on us. We need you to deal with those rocks. We need you to show us what needs to be done to to thin out those thorn bushes. We ask for your help. I pray you'll start it inside of us. Will you let that seed, that good news take root? We want to be part of your kingdom. We want hearts that are all about you, sold out to you, committed to you, that see you as Lord and Savior and let you call the shots. But we need your help, Jesus. We need your help. Jesus, we ask for that now. In your name. So the question of the hour, do we have ears to hear? Well, we should listen.